Well, thank you, Father Rick and the Restoration Community for inviting me to begin Lent with you. In some ways, you are an intimidating community to stand in front of. Your reputation as a loving, creative, articulate, restorative, spiritually strong church precedes you. Glory to God. Please pray with me. Come, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Move among us as we seek to dwell in your heart. Shepherd us. Continue to unite this community of believers in love for you, for one another, and for the world. Bless this people with strength and peace and hope and joy. Amen. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could go around the room right now and somehow including people who are with us technologically and just listen to one another answering the question, where, where are you from? Who were your people when you were growing up and where would you call your roots? Because the observation of Lent is one of the Christian liturgical practices that binds us to one another and takes us back to our beginnings. Today, with the imposition of the ashes, we are reminded of creation. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you will return. We remember our roots and are called back to paths we may have wandered from. And once again, we are invited into that place of belonging, community. So many things have shifted for us since Ash Wednesday just one year ago. Along with the entire world, we have been touched by a kind of suffering new to us. We've joined those whose daily experience of life is filled with distressing unknowns. We grieve people we've lost to COVID death, and we all grieve as our ways of being in relationship have dramatically changed. And we've shared the horror of George Floyd's murder, the riots that it incited, and our forced confrontation with our own complicity and compromise. And I haven't even mentioned the political rifts. As individuals, as a church, and as a nation, we are deeply divided. And the roots of our divisions are multi-layered. But the division itself is what's most sorrowful from this past year. Political, ideological, racial, theological, even familial divisions have been rampant, including, sadly, within the body of Christ. I recount these experiences so that we will remember together. Because here we are, bringing into this new season of Lent needs, traumas. It seems a bit daunting to think about imposing disciplines on ourselves when we already feel battered, scattered, and in need of comfort. What if, instead of thinking in terms of spiritual disciplines, we assumed a different posture and embraced our chosen Lenten habits of abstinence and engagement 
as resistance practices. The enemy of our souls seeks to divide us and pull us deeper into our particular anxieties, fears, anger, loneliness, loss. Repentance practices enable us to resist that downward pull of our needs so that the Lord can lift us up into his embrace as he longs to do. We will be strengthened to remember our first love and live into our primary identity in Christ. Earlier this month, I had the opportunity to hear one of the founders of the Repentance Project, Erin Clifford. As part of her doctorate in the missiology of suffering, Erin spent time in an informal settlement, formerly referred to less kindly as a slum, in Mathari, Kenya. She interviewed Christian leaders about their spiritually formative practices that they depended on to get them through the traumas and suffering that they experienced daily. The absolute necessity of community came up time and time again. As Erin took what she learned from sufferers in another part of the world and exposed her research to the light of God's word, she saw a significant contrast in the questions that the early church asked in the midst of suffering from those of us in the Western church. The early church asked, how do I flee from evil? How do I persevere through suffering? In contrast, in response to suffering, the Western church asks, where is this coming from and how can I get rid of it? significantly different. With the backdrop of our own time and place, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Ash Wednesday, 2021, let us consider the questions of the early church, allowing them to influence our resistance practices that we engage this Lenten season. As a beginning, we might situate ourselves in the crowds encountering Jesus from our gospel passage. We might ask how our suffering is similar to theirs. In a preceding chapter, 4, Matthew describes the crowd. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. His fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from all of Samaria. I imagine many of the people from these crowds became the early church. The book of Acts, the New Testament letters, and history fill us in on their needs to flee evil and persevere through suffering. And all the way up to our present time, we follow Jesus. We too afflicted in body, mind, and heart. We would be wise to ask, how do I flee from evil? The question itself presupposes the existence of sin and evil. 
In a preceding chapter, Matthew also provided details of Jesus being driven into the desert for 40 days and being tempted by the devil. The Jesus the crowds followed was God in human flesh, and he engaged in battle with hostile, occupying power of Satan and all the evil forces in the world. From the beginning of his ministry, Jesus faced, resisted, and defeated evil. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Sin is a malignant power, and we must flee from it. Yet, Jesus was strengthened in his 40 days of fasting and prayer. We are called to resist evil as our Savior did, so that we too may experience resurrection life now and in the age to come. This brings to mind our baptismal vows, doesn't it? Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of evil and wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce. Do you? I renounce. Do you? I renounce. Do you turn to Jesus Christ? I do. God does not raise us up from the ash heap of our sins because we have repented and become acceptable, but because he purposed to do so. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus and we are strengthened by our intentional, ascetical resistance practices to oppose the powers of evil at work in our lives and in the world. Jesus knew that the ministry he was about to begin would require of him more than he could humanly bear, and he sought complete fellowship with his Father. He commanded us to do so as well in the power of the Holy Spirit he gives. But along with our individual call to resist evil is a call to the people of God as well. As in our passage from Amos, that call begins with repent. One theologian says, Ash Wednesday is a private day when the church withdraws into itself in repentance and sorrow. It is a bugle call to the church to admit, confess, and lament the sins of the church. In 1 Peter, it says, judgment falls first on the household of God. The passions of the world around us have become disordered. As Jesus' disciples, have our passions become disordered? Today, we engage in making amends. Ash Wednesday offers the church an opportunity to ask the Lord, what are the things of secondary importance in my life, in our lives, that we have allowed to swing around and become primary? The church confesses on Ash Wednesday that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all deserve judgment, but 
we repent with the knowledge that judgment is lifted. God made him to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. With the full knowledge of what Christ has done for us and his sufferings, we persevere. How do we persevere through suffering? I want to suggest three broad categories of resistance practices. First, what did Jesus teach the crowds who followed him? Even though they were afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, he said, fast, pray, be generous. Sadly, Jesus points to the behavior of the religious leaders around them and says, and don't be like them. You do the right thing for the right reasons from a heart made right with God, and you will stockpile treasure in heaven. So let's be like Jesus then. Let's fast. In whatever ways we choose, let's allow ourselves to be strengthened by our Heavenly Father to resist evil, to repent, and wholly return to Jesus as our first love. And let's pray. Let's take time to let the Lord tell us how much he delights in us, how he knows us and is for us. Find a comfortable place in God's heart and rest there. Let's listen to him and obey with hearts humbly set on him and actions that are loving, just, and merciful. And from that place of security, we can be generous. Let us ask the Lord how to, to teach us how to crucify our lordship of ourselves so that we can live with God and others with the same magnanimity God has shown to us. Dorothy Sayers once wrote, Lent is not intended to be an annual ordeal during which we begrudgingly forego a handful of pleasures. It is meant to be the church's springtime, a time when, out of the darkness of sin's winter, a repentant, empowered people emerges. So number two, gratitude. Sandwiched in our gospel passage from Matthew 6 is what we call the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. When we worship God, we acknowledge not only our dependence on God, but our gratitude. When the Israelites brought offerings for the building of the temple, King David, who was not destined to build the temple, prayed to the Lord, saying, he praised God for his greatness and glory, and then he prayed, Lord, for all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. This is often included as a liturgical prayer at the conclusion of the offering leading into the great Thanksgiving, Eucharist. In fact, the literal word, meaning of the word Eucharist is Thanksgiving. Every time we come to the Lord's table, we thank God for Jesus' crucifixion on a cross for our sins. Thanking God, hallowing God, worshiping God is one of the surest ways to bring heaven to earth, 
a powerful resistance practice. Our resistance practices not only lay up treasure in heaven, not only honor God with gratitude for his manifest gifts to us, they even lay out concrete ways of carrying on Jesus' work. And the place to begin is third, in community. Jesus taught crowds. He traveled with a small crowd. Our triune three-in-one God ordained that kingdom life is meant to take place with others. Our individual stories are rooted in the generations of our families of origin and in the community of Christ. So much has shifted since this pandemic began. And maybe we've discovered a certain convenience in doing things our own way, on our own. What began as a necessity may have mutated into something else. Many of our internal and external relational habits need adjustment. The people Aaron Clifford interviewed came back to the importance of community time and time again. Even while they themselves were suffering and in great need, they reached out to others. I suggest that we consider connection and community as our highest corporate Lenten practice this season. Of course, I say that with the assumption that we are already engaged in fasting, prayer, generosity, and gratitude. In his final hours, Jesus prayed for our unity. Unity in community. Union with Christ. Unity in the community of the body of Christ. We've become hinderingly, if that's even a word, aware of what doesn't work. And we've gotten creative about what does work, which has been fine, but not good, not best. What is open to us? I'm convinced that the biggest challenge for the Christian church today is to find our way back into true community, to remember that we are the beloved community. Sure, we still have fears. We still have anxieties. We still have differences on major issues. But we are Christ's body. The world's opportunity to see Christ is in us. How can our Lenten practices move us toward connection and community? The early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And this has been a true challenge during the pandemic, yet we've found ways and we must continue to find them because our differences, our divisions, are Satan's tactics to keep us from fullness of life. Free from evil, flee from evil and pursue, persevere through suffering in community. Let us lay aside our differences and let us gather toward the image of God in others. What resistance practices can I, 
Can you engage this Lenten season that will bridge divides and build true community in the body of Christ, including in this beautiful community? Enter this Lenten season with high expectations. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.